Habibis, just wanted to let you all know that Habib Please is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. We're a community of progressive podcasts challenging right-wing and corporate media dominance in French and English from coast to coast. We're also working with the Left Journal Passage as a founding partner to build a media ecosystem that challenges centrist and far-right narratives to create a space for left and progressive voices in Canadian discourse. Some shows I like that are part of the network include Rob Rousseau's 49th Parahal and the Indigenous storytelling series Feel Rouge. Harbinger depends on listeners like you. You can support by going to harbingermedianetwork.com. Now on to the show. specific episode is about tenant advocacy happening in Toronto and is a part of a tiny series of episodes I will be putting out with themes of Canadian activism and social movements and kind of taking a look and talking to organizers and folks on the ground. There's kind of been a bit of what appears to be um, and has been identified as a media blackout on some of this. Uh, There's presently a grotesque amount of evictions going on. Evictions have obviously always been a problem, but presently they're being facilitated in this sterile way through tech, through Microsoft Office Teams and blocks where nine people can be evicted in a session that wasn't really physically possible in the same way before COVID. You'd have to book a room, things like that. And they're being adjudicated by people with very little experience. uh, Some even living in places really far away from Toronto, uh, like Sudbury. People who are adjudicating them have ties to landlords, which is super wild to me. So check out the show notes for some accounts you can follow for updates. Um, People's Defense has been doing a lot of great updates. Uh, Parkdale Organized, Keep Your Rent, just tracking what's been going on bearing witness and documenting it. And so in November 2020, uh, there were 65, over 6,500 eviction hearings, and that's 21 more percent than in November 2019. Some regions have witnessed uh, a surge of almost 300 percent in eviction rates. And I want to make sure people keep in mind that anti-eviction action and organizing was so intense in the second year of the Depression that evictions effectively stopped in places like New York, Detroit, and Chicago. So uh, yeah, solidarity to all of those fighting evictions. Next episodes will kind of be about defunding movements throughout Canada and at transit justice. So on to the show. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. So that was a great conversation we just had. And now I'm here with uh, Johnny uh, from the York Southwestern Tenant Union to talk a bit about what they're doing and talk about the union and just what's been going on with the mass uh, blitz evictions in Toronto. So, uh, Johnny, could you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and talk a bit about the tenants union and what's going on? Yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Johnny Deeb. I live in uh, the Mount Dennis area, Western Mount Dennis, and um I've been active in uh, tenant organizing in the area for a couple of years now and um, through the York Southwestern Tenant Union. And um, yeah, what um, what we're seeing in terms of and, and what really the Keep Your Rent um, folks were able to, to expose on, on Twitter, uh, as well as the People's Defense uh, Twitter account, what they've been able to expose in the in the LT be the cruelty of, of landlords and the cruelty of the justice system against um, tenants 
is, um, you know, it's first of all, it's shocking, even though for the last couple of years, I, I have been, um, you know, in, in touch with people facing eviction. And in many cases, we were able to help them out of that dreadful uh, fate uh, through, you know, it's not that the tenant union was able to help them. It's, it's because when you empower people, uh, when you empower working class people to, to, um, to, uh, to understand the, the power that they already have, they usually act on it. And um, so even though I was familiar with how cruel the system is and how the landlord tenant board, the LTB is, is, you know, it's one of its main mandates to regulate pushing people out of their homes to like create the ideological uh, framework uh, that makes it okay for everyone to say, well, well, uh, you know, they didn't pay rent, so they have to move on uh, without really asking the bigger questions of why they didn't pay rent and where else can they afford if they can't afford here, et cetera, et cetera. And so even though I'm, I'm, I come from a background where I'm familiar with this topic, it was still like shocking to see what was going on with the online process. Um, in some cases, I like my heart skipped it because I, I remembered cases where we were in the hearing rooms in the LTB and things went wildly different because we were there and because neighbors showed up for, uh, for someone. Um, and also the, the lack of moral support that someone might feel, even, even though you know, it's great what the community has done uh, in terms of disruption. And so... You know, in 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 that background, and um, you know, look, uh, looking at this situation, you you just you you also step back and, and look at the policy that got us here. You look at the the ingrained inequalities that mean that certain people all of a sudden cannot afford their rent anymore. Um, you know, it, it makes you think about all that stuff. But most of all, it it just reinforces the importance of, um, you know, we're hearing a lot now. Um, thanks to folks like Partiel Organize and Keep Your Rent and, and the Malton Movement, um, we're using that word a lot. Um, and it doesn't mean it's not like you organize books on a shelf uh, or you organize a wedding party. That's, that's not the organizing. It's the organizing that is similar to trade union organizing. The idea is that a collection, like um, a group of, of, of people, so they could be workers that have the same employer or tenants that have the same landlord, when they talk to each other and they come to answers um, based on their, their experience and, and finally decide to act collectively rather than individually, facing their their uh, their situation th this is what organizing means it's when a group of people who have something in common who have something real in common they have the same landlord for example um or more broadly tenants across the city uh can be said to be organizing but you always have to start in a very concrete way and so the what is coming out of all of this is is a reflection on the power of organizing. And this is to be contrasted slightly with other political tools. So organizing is a political tool that is very, 
that we're, that we're finding is very has very immediate effects even if we don't always win we always have very immediate effects um and this is contrasted with uh mobilizing and with advocacy so mo- examples of mobilizing can be you know when something is in the news and if a few leader thought leaders would cobble together a rally or a protest and and people show up to it because it's being talked about so mobilizing is great to move the needle on public debate but um without organizers without people who are doing organizing at the neighborhood level um you show up at a protest and you yell at the top of your lung and then you leave home a bit empty or you might have discussions with people at the at the rally but they're like big picture stuff you talk about you know international things and what putin said and things like that and and then and then you go home it's it's a bit of a missed opportunity but what's been happening uh in our in our neighborhoods more and more is when we meet together instead of just talking about the big picture i mean at some point we just we understand what's going on with the rent situation there's you know, vacation vacancy decontrol the, the idea that when someone moves out the landlord can raise the rent however much they want that already creates a lot of incentive for kicking people out you know like we we know these things and we've talked about them a lot you know and you could go into like these wormholes about housing supply what is the market going to do how much subsidy should the government make and all of that but then you know you, you stop that talk for a second and then you you start talking about well is is is, is who is going to call Salwa and let her know that we're organizing a meeting on such and such day and who's going to call Brian and let him know that we need the posters printed uh by such and such date um and and you know at the end of the day these these are the immediate actions that we're doing that are yielding immediate results it's not to lose picture of it's not to lose sight of the big picture um but it's it's just the obvious thing to do and it's not and then the the other thing i mean i, I don't know what other people's experiences have been I, i i can imagine it's similar i mean i've heard others uh describe organizing as as the the hard work of organizing or the difficult work of organizing is that it is emotionally draining to organize with with your neighbors um you know and it's, it's similar in the workplace you know a workplace that does not have a union in order to start a union you can imagine you can imagine the, the the emotions that you have to go through yeah you're risking your job your 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 thought process is all over the place you don't know like do i want to be combative with my landlord or do i want to play the the you know the, the the nice card i can afford my rent why should i stick up for my neighbor and, you know, all of, all of these questions and then it, the time it takes uh you know so some people are really busy but they're still invested in 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 you know emotionally in in helping uh, our neighbors uh and so it's very difficult work very different than you know posting an opinion on twitter you know that yeah. can be difficult yeah. but you know but like you know you you could you could get yeah. all the joy out of like intellectualizing on politics and you know with not other commitment uh which is great but 
unfortunately, it doesn't really move the needle much. People are being rendered homeless, yeah, which people need to show up. And you touched on um, this power in numbers, like this power found in numbers and um, collective organizing. And York Southwestern Tenants Union is collaborating with other kind of tenants' rights groups right now. And I guess um, you kind of touched on this earlier, but like to lay out because the the listenership is not all from Toronto, but um, this kind of movement from having the evictions usually held in a hearing room. So you touched on how like people would show up and that would sometimes change the circumstances. Now they're done in these like kind of Microsoft team office team meetings. And I've heard that there's like up to nine people evicted in one sitting and they're hiring just like random people. Like one woman is from Sudbury who's been like overseeing the hearing. It's worse than it's worse than random. Yeah. Can you expand on it? A lot of the adjudicators are veterans in landlord side um, uh, landlord side paralegals so they, they are veteran lawyers and paralegals whose livelihood was made making the case for landlords to evict their tenants you know like this is someone who spent a decade or more thinking about ways to 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 fool the tenant into into losing legally and now they're uh, adjudicators at the LTD. There, there are landlords, there are active landlords, people who invest in real estate sitting as adjudicators. Uh, there are former RCMP officers. It's, it's shocking, like, the, the, what, what the People's Defense and, and Keep Your Rent and all of these amazing um, organizers have exposed is, is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And, um, you know, like... For for us who who knew what the LTB stood for before, we've always known that it's a bit of a botched job. Like it's, you know, a lot of people think of it. A lot of tenants think of it as as a court, but it's not really a court. It's just some sort of legal framework to make it okay for your landlord to make you do things. And in theory, it should work the other way around as well. It's it's the place you go when your landlord doesn't listen to you when you ask him for stuff. Um, so it's, it's just that it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a neutral, but government mandated, um, you know, uh, mediator between, between landlords and tenants when things go bad, that's in theory, but in, in practice, like the vast majority of the work at the LTB is evictions. And that's been true before COVID. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's shocking stuff, and um, you know, uh, remains a bit of a question mark of how we're gonna come out of this. Um, and there's there's a lot of calls. I'm certainly one of those calls to shut down the LTP. The way it is, it's a it's a circus. We need to shut it down. We need to take a step back and consider how to move forward. And um, I wanted to talk, uh, like zoom in a bit to your community. Um, there was kind of a, an action that I saw online to um, provide support to somebody who lives in the community named Hisham, I think. Can you talk about, yeah, can you talk a bit about that? Like, what does that look like to support somebody in the community and like show up for somebody? And like, that, can you talk a bit about that case? Yeah, so um, Hisham was not the first person where you know the the community rallied around uh but you know he's the way he reacts to it is is very inspiring um and um yeah so so the his situation was that uh, he was he was running into arrears um 
because of, you know, because the system sucks. He was running into arrears in his rent. And uh, he finally got an eviction notice and then an eviction order even. So the landlord was in a legal position to kick him out of his home. Um, but, you know, we, we, we strategized a bit. We, there's, so in Hisham's case, he had been one of the key organizers in his building to keep their tenant association alive. So they have a building committee that meets quite regularly. And the neighbors around him were the first to say that, no, this is horrible. We're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna just let this pass. Um, and, um, and, and, and then we, we did um, what we call a phone zap. So calling the landlord a lot. Um, and we finally reached uh, someone from the landlord company and uh, there were instructions to, to the site manager to, you know, to not make a faux pas from a PR perspective. Um, and so by the time the rally happened, we had already secured a verbal commitment from management not to kick Hisham out, even though they have the legal right to do it. And so that, you know, bought him a lot of time. And now his, his, his situation is a lot better. Um, and then at the rally, the, the, the power that everyone saw was that when, when we got together in this situation, we, it, it was, we, were, we were able to push back. I mean, I'm, I'm going to give a personal example. I was renting at a Metcalf building when I was younger. And as soon as I got served, the first notice that they tell you, it's not even an eviction notice. Like there's the word eviction on it, but it's not even like anywhere close. It's the first thing they, they let you know that I'm starting an eviction process against you. Back then, I remember, you know, I looked at my bank account, so I was fine. Like, I was fine. I, I could have gone through this. But just the thought that the landlord has this power over me and the fact that I didn't have anyone around me uh, in, in the building that knows me, that, that, you know, there's no tenant association, I walked out. You know, I left that unit and I allowed that landlord to jack up the rent by hundreds of dollars. And this is... Me, who is a politically conscious person sitting on the computer watching Noam Chomsky talk about how, you know, society is atomized and we don't talk to each other. And that's why the ruling class screws us over. And it happened to me. I walked out. I, I was that sucker. And what didn't, you know, like what didn't happen to Hisham did not happen because he was active in his own building and he was speaking to his neighbors and he put around him despite, you know, despite the fact that like on paper, he's, he's not in a good situation. He put around him a network of support. And that's, that's the other sort of crazy thing about organizing is that on the one hand, it's very political, but it forces you to, to, to create friendships and to create a network of support. And this is what, working class people need the most. I mean, what we lack as working class people is good networks. That's one of the big disadvantages we have. And, you know, who's, who's going to be our network except each other. And it, it, you know, the rally that we did, it was a, it was a Sunday. It, it highlighted that. And, and the other amazing thing is how many people showed up from other parts of the city. Um, specifically because Hisham showed up for them in previous occasions. And,
And, you know, like this looks sort of, it looks romantic looking back at it. Um, but th there's a lot of grind in between, right? So, yeah. And, and, and what it means to show up for each other is not just in the symbolism of, of rallies and when it's on public display, although that's amazing. Um, it's also in, in, in much more concrete ways that, you know, are sort of hard to, to express online because there's like a, a lot of private moments. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, how people care for each other in community in the moment is something I think about often and like being the ancestor you want to be from now. So that I really appreciate that example. And then um, I guess like the other thing is you've touched on it a bit, but like how do you think COVID-19 has already exacerbated the like living conditions that already existed in Toronto? Like people were already being like run evictioned out. And how is this being exacerbated? And then, like, are there any, like, leftist gains we've been seeing from this? So, you know, from, from where I'm standing, I, I mean, obviously, COVID has been devastating because, you know, because we suffer from it more. Because we have to show up to work. We have to get on the bus and go to work. And it's a contagious disease, so we're suffering from it more. Um, but the other side of COVID which is the economic side, like the economic downturn, the way our economy functions. And you know, if there's no growth, there's no jobs. And if there's no jobs, there's no money. And then there's no food on the table, etc. That is not particular to COVID. Any other economic crisis could have caused the same thing. And what, you know, in, in, in the housing situation in Toronto, even if you take COVID out of the equation, when people said two years ago that this is a housing crisis, you know, I used to, I used to think like, is it a housing crisis? Because you know, I, I know some people who are renting affordably compared to what they make. Um, but then, you know, the, the more you meet people and the more you look at the numbers, it is a crisis. It's a, it was already a crisis. You know, the, the median income is nowhere close to afford housing in the city. And so, yeah, it's completely lopsided. And so it's a, a lot of the arrears that, you know, that people are finding themselves in, well, they're not finding themselves in, their landlords are jackasses. And they're charging them more rent than they can afford. But, you know, there, there's people who had a job that pays enough for, for their rent. And all of a sudden, they don't have that same job. They have a, a job that pays less. Uh, or they're working fewer hours. So the, the idea that the, the housing market is so far on the edge from, from that perspective, that it takes up so much of your income to just put a roof over your head, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's as though we've been bracing for this the whole time when we're like telling all the doom and gloom stories of what could happen if the housing situation isn't improved. Um, on the other hand, um, I hope that what's happening now, like in the, in the context of the, 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 the contrast between incomes and, and rents, uh, and at the same time, the organizing that's happening at the building level, I hope that that creates a lot more consciousness about the absurdity of, of land values in, in the city and about the absurdity of the relationship between the tenant and the, and the landlord, where you know the tenant has to go and find the money one way or another. 
hand the landlord just collects it. Um, you know, and a lot of myths are, are, are being destroyed right now in, in the public consciousness about, you know, landlords as housing providers or landlords as, you know, they're creating the housing. They're not, they're hoarding the housing. And, you know, we see it, we see this very, very well in, in our community, like the building where Hisham lives, um, just swaps hands every seven years and increases in value. And it's the exact same number of apartments, but they're collecting, you know, they went from collecting $5 million a few years ago to over $7 million now each year from that one apartment complex. And so, you know, it, what COVID does to the whole situation, I don't know if I can comment on that, you know, I would, but there's certainly like the absurdity is being amplified, the absurdity of the economic uh, relationship between the tenant and the landlord is being. Amplified. Yeah. And the blitzes to me kind of, um, I don't know, they're, they're grotesque. Like it's just like mass, like nine people at once is not possible in real time when you have to book a room per person and do things in like blocks that are much longer than these like three minute blocks where like children are even translating. Um, the power dynamics are... Let, let me let me be very frank. I mean, it, it, at the LTB room, it was also a room like this. And I have been in a room where a child was translating for their parents, the, the consent order that they were reaching. You know, now it's, it's just because digital. they have so many cases and because it's digital, we, we've been able to, to see it a lot more. But also just simply because the activists have have shown a light on it it's mm. coming out even before i could have smuggled in a recording device and and exposed the shittiness of it i didn't do it because mm. I, I didn't have the guts to i didn't have I, I didn't think that it was useful so yeah but and, and then the other thing is that you know they're trying to go through a lot of evictions and then you know, this, this, again, creates this threat that you have to pay the rent. This is the most important thing, to pay the rent. And what is the rent paying? It's, it's, it's just justifying the value of the land, which has no value, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's there. Like, the apartment is there. Why? Yeah, yeah. I guess like a uh, last thing is um, I've been seeing a few where people are being asked to like back pay a mass amount at once, but like how can they even do that? So it's just setting people up to have like not only be evicted, but like also have bad credit, which will haunt them. And 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 the, the truth of working class people is that we hustle, we get money. Uh, but then you ask yourself, why should my family and friends and people I barely know chip in to bankroll a multi-billion dollar company investing in real estate? What? What is going on? Why should even the government be bankrolling, you know, through, 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 uh, you know, supports payments or what's happening? No, the, you should come. I mean, no matter how you look at it, it's absurd because in the business world, when someone owes someone else money, they don't just say, okay, well, we draw a line and then you have to pay back. They just they reach out deals. And most of the deals mean that the person you owe money to is going to lose some. You know, if In business, yeah. it's like that. And then it's, it's just absurd. The, the only hope really, I mean, I, I don't know if there's other hopes, but, but the only hope is that we multiply 
the organizing uh, that you know perhaps this this increased consciousness of of how absurd it is will drive more people to to reach out to their neighbors and, and and to talk to people who are already active so that the number of people who are active are multiplied but you know that is is going to be exhausting you know just because there's more people or like if we get to a point where more and more and more people are organizing it doesn't make it any easier because you know there's there's millions of us suffering you know there's millions of us in 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 these precarious situations so just to get you know a dozen more obviously helps a lot but you're not gonna just focus on the same buildings if we get more activists we're going to be focusing on even more buildings on even more neighbors and um it's never going to get easier um and yeah and so you know like it, it poses a lot of personal questions you know you start asking yourself how, how much i want to put into this and and this is again why the people who need the help the most are the best equipped to lead this this political process of, of organizing our neighborhoods because the people who need the help the most they there's actually a, like a cost benefit analysis that they can make that is useful mm-hmm. Whereas a middle-class person just showing up and helping out is going to start asking themselves, well, I don't know what's in it for me. It's putting a strain on my relationship. It's putting, you know, it's taking up time out of my hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert in any of it. I just sort of walked Show into up. this world of uh, tenant organizing. I mean, literally the, the first building we, we helped organize I just like the tools I provided were just very rudimentary. It was like, you know, calling the LTB, getting documents, but the, the tenants at the building did the bulk of the work. Uh, you know, it was a building I didn't live in. So, you know, I, I didn't feel that I, I, I could lead any of it, but people showed up for themselves. And even though there was very little politics uh, discussed, it was a fundamentally very political work. Uh, and yeah, and the, the other fascinating thing about um, this grassroots organizing is uh, I was having a discussion with um, with with one of uh, our neighbors who is who is very active, and um, I said to him in passing, I don't know why I said uh, uh, I I I described him as a political activist. And he shrugged and he was like, whoa, 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 I'm a political activist? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Why are you surprised? What's your definition of a political activist? He said, a political activist is someone with expertise who can speak on a subject and and who, who knows uh, about it. And I was like, yeah, you have the expertise. It's your lived experience. And you speak on the subject very often and, and very clearly. And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, if you insist. <laughs> but... I, I say that to say that, um, you know, grassroots organizing works because because politics is not in the classroom and politics is not in, you know, like in the political science degrees or, or mm-hmm. the or the or the findings of, of empirical studies, uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, people who, 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 who do political science, they're telling us this. You know, yeah. they're telling us that actually 
historically what matters the most is is how much work we do on the ground and how much we connect yeah and knowledge is power too but on that note thank you so much but where can people find you folks online I, that was i think that's really inspiring that where can people see you on the streets and find you folks online we uh, we're on uh, tenantunion.ca um, so that's the web domain for York Southwest and Tenant Union. And then on Twitter, you could do at YSW Tenants. But yeah, I mean, that's exciting and everything. But if anyone hearing this is living in um, part of Toronto, in Weston or in Keelan Lawrence areas, you know, those are the people we're most interested to, to connect with yeah. and to hear from. And yeah, all the all the power to you as well. And it's absolutely true that you know a lot of this stuff has been happening under the cover of darkness and thank you for shining a light on it everyone. Uh, today, uh, we're continuing this series on uh, kind of the run evictions and uh, efforts that have been happening across Canada to talk about what's happening in Parkdale with uh, kind of rent increases, but also mass evictions that are happening virtually, which is like a very sterile way to have them happen. And to join us from Keep Your Rent Toronto is Matt. And Matt, can you tell us a bit about what's going, been going on um, since before the pandemic and after the pandemic and what people are doing to resist and fight back in Parkdale? Yeah, so I, I think there's been a lot of tenant organizing in Parkdale over the past several years uh, That's that's been pretty effective. And it's been happening in response to uh, like a process of gentrification and a, a forcing out of a lot of people in the neighborhood. Uh, part of that has to do with rent increases. Uh, but another part of it is like an increasing concentration of... Uh, buildings, apartment buildings and and smaller houses uh, in the hands of fewer and fewer landlords who are looking for bigger and bigger profits to keep their their investors happy. Uh, Sort of what we call the, uh, what are they called? REIT, Real Estate Investment Trusts, which are like multi-billion dollar, often international companies that manage properties in cities across the country or around the world. Um, And that you know, like when when people think about landlords, they often think about like the you know the old widow who's renting out her basement and that's her only source of income kind of thing. Uh, the the reality in Toronto is that most landlords these days are these large, multi million dollar, sometimes multi billion dollar companies that are that are making record profits year after year off of increasing the rent as much as possible, forcing people out so that they can charge higher rents. Uh, pushing above guideline rent increases on buildings so that tenants pay for necessary repairs and they bear none of the costs of that. Uh, so it's it's been a rough time in Parkdale for the last little while. A lot of people have, have been forced to leave for, for all of these kinds of reasons. Uh, and, and in response to that, there's been a, a culture of, of tenant activism and organizing that's, that's sprung up here. Um, the, the most notable example of which prior to the pandemic was a big uh, rent strike in Metcalf buildings in 2017 uh, in response to above guideline rent increases and poor maintenance. Uh, hundreds of Metcalf tenants across the neighborhood withheld their rent for, I think, three months. Uh, and in the end, they won several concessions from from the company uh they backed off on on the big rent increases and for a little while at least there were there were better repairs in a lot of buildings um so that that was sort of the context pre-covid was it's it's a precarious neighborhood for people who are who are low income you know if if you fall behind on rent it's very difficult to catch up and your landlord is eager to get you out so that they can get someone else in at that higher price uh no the 2017 i was gonna say um it's like good proof that 
when people are together in solidarity, they strike, they win. And I was going to say, ask in Parkdale, are people um, also withholding rent in solidarity? I've seen a bit of that before. Uh, yeah, so I, I got involved with tenant organizing this year in Parkdale in response to the Keep Your Rent campaign, which uh, which launched, I, I feel like within days of the, the shutdown orders in March, I was starting to see posters and graffiti saying, keep your rent. Uh, there was a website, all this kinds of thing. And uh, my partner and I talked about it and decided that, yeah, we, we felt like it was a good idea. Like at, at that point, it, it was very not clear uh, what the long-term effects of COVID were going to be, whether either of us were going to be able to keep our jobs, like how long this was going to last for. And so it seemed really prudent from like a, a self-interested point of view, like we might need this money more than our landlord does. You know, we, we, we should probably hold on to it for now. Um, and after a few months of the pandemic, it, it became clear that like, fortunately for the both of us, we, we were going to be able to come through it like in a in an okay financial position, like both of us have been able to keep our jobs, although we were both on serve at, at different points in this year. Uh, but like we, we haven't fallen behind on our ability to pay rent, uh, but we have continued to keep our rent. Uh, I, I haven't paid rent since uh, the last time I paid rent was the first of March. So nine months of rent uh, just sitting in my bank account there. Uh, and, and a lot of people, you know, will, will accuse people like me of being uh, selfish or trying to take advantage of the situation, trying to game the system or whatever. Uh, but for people like me who are keeping their rent in solidarity with their neighbors, our, our goal is to gain leverage in our uh pressure against landlords to forgive rent um so it's it's sort of the the carrot that we have on offer is like hey like if you forgive rent for people who haven't been able to pay people like us will pay back um and that's that's something that we've made clear to landlords at various points and and so far none of them have uh, have taken us up on this offer but we we do believe that it also sends a message of tenant solidarity that uh that landlords can clearly see that tenants are organized in support of each other um and the result of that is I think landlords have been more cautious in Parkdale than in other neighborhoods. So right now across the city, we're seeing <clears throat> we're seeing eviction blitzes. We're seeing uh, eviction notices going out to, to lots and lots of people. Uh, but in Parkdale, there has not been that kind of, of movement toward mass evictions. A couple of the smaller landlords have been issuing eviction notices, but the big ones in the neighborhood, uh, Metcap, Timber Creek, Achilles, so far we haven't been seeing them put out eviction notices. And we have to think that that's a direct result of tenant organizing in this neighborhood and their, their memory of what that means when tenants get really uh, mobilized from, from 2017 and from previous campaigns. Yeah, and... Um I guess the one of the big ones I would ask about is uh, so eviction blitzes that have been happening. Um, can you explain that a bit for an audience that might not know what an eviction blitz is? Because I think that's kind of new to the pandemic. And and do you think they'll continue after the pandemic? Because uh, this format has been very efficient for the landlord tenant board, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. So so at the beginning of the pandemic, the provincial government announced a temporary moratorium on evictions, uh, which was not in any way tied to rent forgiveness um, so it was just like during this time we're not going to have any eviction hearings 
and that ended, I believe, the beginning of August. Uh, and the Landlord-Tenant Board was a little bit slow to gear up for online hearings. It took them a little while to get their act together. But now it's it's absolutely in full swing. Uh, so what's happening is they hired several new adjudicators at the Landlord-Tenant Board to handle the, the backlog of eviction orders. Uh, and they are churning through uh, roughly like 2,000 evictions a week, I want to say. Maybe it's a little more. Uh, so people uh, have to log into Microsoft Teams, which is like a, a crappier version of Zoom. Um, so like you can imagine, it's, it's really glitchy and buggy. A lot, a lot of people are unfamiliar with it. Um, and if you have a bad internet connection, you know, the, the hearing will go ahead without you. Um, and in the Microsoft Teams uh, software, like it's it's hard to get into the rooms, like the the waiting room function. I think it doesn't do a lot to draw the attention of the person who's running the meeting, who is the adjudicator, who's trying to like decide these cases. So you, you can often wind up waiting for a long time to even get in. Um, and then the hearings themselves. Very often, we're looking at like one or two minutes for the whole eviction hearing. Um, due to recent changes in provincial law, uh, tenants aren't allowed to bring complaints about maintenance or harassment from landlords on the day of the hearing. They need to give the landlord at least five days notice in writing that they're going to be bringing these concerns at the hearing, where in the past, they were able to bring these up at the time and the mediator would, would take those things into account when deciding on the case. Now, it's just purely, are you behind on your rent or not? Uh, and there are no accommodations made for people who have been sick, who have lost work because of COVID. Uh, there's, there's literally nothing being done to acknowledge the fact that there's a deadly pandemic that's spreading across this province at an uncontrolled rate. Uh, the, the adjudicators, uh, if you're behind on rent and you're not able to pay, they, they order your eviction within 11 days and then they're on to the next case. Uh, and we're seeing this at a, at a volume and a speed that's unprecedented. Like it's, it's always been true in Ontario that uh, the, the ability of landlords to make a profit is prioritized over the ability of people to have a safe place to live. Like that's what the landlord tenant board exists for. It exists to help landlords make money. But What's different now is, yeah, just the scale and speed at which evictions are taking place. And the the cruelty of the system, I think, is revealed more starkly to people because of the, the situation that we find ourselves in right now. So I sat in on uh, the landlord-tenant board hearings earlier this week. Uh, there was a tenant somewhere in Parkdale who we, we didn't know, like we could see the address, but we, we didn't know who it was or, or what the reason was. And we're, we're trying to keep tabs on, on people in Parkdale and, and get in touch with them if we know that they're going to be before the LTB. So I was sitting in on that hearing to find out more about their case, but I, I heard an unrelated one. Uh, a gentleman, an older gentleman who has a brain tumor currently uh, and it needed to stop working because it put him at high risk of COVID and as a result hasn't been able to keep up on his rent and his landlord was seeking immediate eviction. And he didn't get evicted because the landlord filed the wrong form. And the adjudicator was very apologetic about it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not able to issue an eviction order at this time, but if you file this form, then probably it'll be back before the board within a month or so. And, and then we can take that into consideration. But in the meanwhile, she ordered the guy to pay back all the rent by the end of the month. And if not, then interest would start to accrue. And it's just like, like that's that's the way the system is set up. Like, that's that's a, a fair and reasonable outcome from the perspective of the system is he's behind on his rent. He needs to pay his rent. If he can't, well, fuck him. Like, go die. Like, that's 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 about all the solace that the system has to offer this guy. 
And um, also, I yeah, they're just disgusting. And I've seen um, children translating, which was something that I know from working kind of in certain community organizations is something that's always been an issue. But um, there was allegedly legislation that doesn't let children translate both these like blitz kind of digital evictions children are translating again for their parents to be evicted it, i'm guessing evictions so parkdale it's not affecting people as much anymore but they're just happening every day in massive blocks but um what would you tell other people who are kind of maybe hesitating to hold back their rent in solidarity because you're one of my only guests who's doing it in solidarity actually uh yeah so we in, in parkdale we haven't had a very organized campaign to encourage people to go on rent strike it's it's an option that uh is definitely open to us in the future uh especially if we see landlords continuing to refuse to put forward like, programs of rent forgiveness, promises to forego evictions during COVID, uh, you know, the basic demands that we've been putting forward for several months. Uh, the, the irony is that people who are withholding their rent voluntarily are actually in a much more secure position than people who aren't able to pay their rent. So the way that eviction law works in Ontario is that even if you receive an eviction order, if you pay back your full amount of rent, the order is cancelled. Uh, like, as long as you're in good standing with your landlord and everything's all paid up, they, they can't throw you out of your home. So... For people who have the means to withhold their rent, it is a really, like relatively low risk way to show strong solidarity with your neighbors to send a message to your landlords that you're not willing to see your neighbors get evicted and you're willing to to withhold your rent until they make a promise that they won't be evicting people at this time that they will be forgiving rent for people who can't afford to pay because we know that landlords can afford to forgive rent you know the the, the big landlords have been making record profits every year year after year they've been raising rents astronomically across neighborhoods like they they have the money to do this uh, uh, we, we conducted a, a neighborhood-wide census in, I want to say, August or September. We knocked on almost a 1,000 doors across Parkdale, asked people if they were behind on rent, if they were out of work, what their, what their financial experience has been with COVID. And what we found was that it's, it's about like 10 or 15% of people in Parkdale who were behind on rent, and the amounts that they owed were often like less than a full month's rent. Uh, like it's, it's not, We're not talking about almost every tenant. We're not talking about 5000 $6,000 per tenant, like landlords can reasonably afford to forgive all arrears and still probably make a profit this year. Uh, but tenants are being expected to pay the full cost of this pandemic. Landlords haven't been asked to make one single sacrifice so far. And, and we know that that's not fair. We know that's not reasonable. Um, the system is set up to advantage landlords and they'll get away with it if we let them. So what I think it's incumbent upon us to do, whether we're at risk of losing our homes or not, is to take a strong stand and stay like, like this is not acceptable. We, we don't need to accept this and we won't. Yeah. And um, the other thing that's happening is I would say intentionally so i i don't think landlords and i i'm pretty sure you can speak to this more but i don't think they want to um even negotiate or make some concessions because it's very lucrative to have people out of the units when they could rent for hire um if you could speak a bit about that and like what what's a run eviction and like what's been going on in parkdale and then um how people resist through other initiatives to uh, beyond rent striking like the parkdale land trust is one thing that i think about so yeah like rent evictions for for people who aren't familiar uh there's a provision in tenancy law that if 
uh, major repairs are required in your unit, your landlord can order you to move out so that those repairs can be conducted. Um, and then you have, technically under the law, you have the right to move back in once those repairs are completed. Uh, we know in the past that often hasn't actually worked out uh, that people have tried to move back in and the landlord's already rented it to someone else at a much higher price. Um, and, and often the repairs are not as necessary as the landlord claims them to be in, in the paperwork that they file to make this happen. Uh, so rent evictions are another way to get tenants out who are paying a lower rent so that you can move someone in at a much higher rent. And it's a tactic that we've seen all across the city, uh, including here in Parkdale. Um, so I was saying before, like Parkdale is, is a gentrifying neighborhood that used to be more affordable. It's, it's certainly true that in the past it was more affordable. Also, the, the quality of a lot of apartments was a lot lower. Um, that like, you know, there were, there were larger problems with maintenance, with pests, with all this kind of thing. Uh, and as, as these more financialized landlords are coming in, they're sort of prettying up places a little bit, um, making repairs that, you know, were, were in a lot of cases needed. But at the same time, they're just pushing out lots and lots and lots of tenants who've been living here for a long time, and then they're not able to find somewhere else that's, that's affordable in the neighborhood. Um, so another tactic that tenants have used to push back against evictions, whether they're rent evictions or evictions for arrears or whatever, is to pressure the landlords directly and in person. Uh, so something that our group has been doing this year is making visits to the homes of landlords and major investors in these real estate investment trusts uh, with groups of neighbors who are there to say they're, they're not willing to accept this treatment, they're not willing to accept these evictions, and they're demanding that the landlord withdraw these evictions immediately. And we have seen some success with these. Um, we've also faced some criticism. Uh, you know, people will say, oh, you know, their homes are off limits. That's not a reasonable place to be having a protest. Uh, our, our response to that is that, like, our homes are not off limits to them. You know, they're, they're coming into our neighborhoods and making us feel unsafe in them. Uh, they're threatening to send in sheriffs to, to take people from their homes. Uh, we feel it's entirely proportionate to go to a landlord's home on a Sunday morning with, you know, 15, 20 tenants and a letter from them saying, we will not accept evictions in our building. And and that kind of like direct personal pressure has, has shown some results as well. So we know that landlords have a financial interest in, you know, getting people out of their homes. But they also have an interest in having like an undisrupted life, having the ability to just like rest easy. Uh, and, and that's one leverage point that we have. And we think it's important to use as much leverage as we can, because when we're talking about evictions, like in a lot of cases, we're talking about, you know, one of the most disruptive things that can happen to a person in their lifetime. Uh, some people, if they get evicted, it may be years before they're stably housed again. Uh, this this is a, a major threat to people's health and well-being at any time, but especially during a pandemic. And, and we feel that it's entirely appropriate to, to bring all the leverage and all the pressure that we have to bear to keep people in their homes. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'm just going to read one last stat and then we can wind down. But yeah, in November 2020, uh, I saw online that there were over 6,500 eviction hearings in Ontario, 21 more percent than 2019. Um, do you think this rate will continue post-pandemic and, and beyond beyond like fighting for each other and like fighting for somebody you don't know or in solidarity and like it kind of, I think uh, this has always been an issue, but um, 
it seems like more people are aware maybe now besides the media who doesn't want to cover it um what like what can people do to get involved um in kind of more tangible ways if they are from parkdale or not from parkdale and uh how like how do you like organize in small ways Mm -hmm. yeah so so just to answer your first question first uh i i I don't know what's going to happen post pandemic i think that the rate and pace of evictions is ultimately not going to be sustainable. Uh, landlords are depending on other people being willing to move in and pay a higher rent. But I think after a certain number of evictions, like you're just going to run out of people who are who are willing and able to move into the neighborhood. I, I think if they evict too many people, it's ultimately going to hurt their bottom line as well. So they, they may be in a sort of a self-destructive kind of place right now. Um, but in terms of what people can do, to get organized and to push back uh, the the very first step and it's it's an uncomfortable step for a lot of people I know it was for me but the very first step is, is talking to your neighbors um, and that's something I hadn't done in my seven or eight years living in this building just kept sort of a low profile like said hi in the elevator and never really got to know anybody's name even um, and I think that's that's pretty standard in a lot of Toronto apartment buildings but your neighbors, the people who are closest to you are, are the best people to start organizing with and having conversations with. Just talking about like what's going on in their lives, what kind of what kind of problems and struggles are they having. And organizing doesn't just need to take the form of resisting evictions. It can be, you know, mutual aid within buildings, uh, helping people with, with errands if they're housebound because of COVID, build strong connections within buildings, uh, going to the superintendent with a group of tenants uh, to make demands about needed repairs. It it, it can be anything that's going to materially improve the lives of, of the tenants in your building. Um, and then, well, like for a lot of people, they're, they're sort of struggling and suffering in silence. You know, they're, they're two, three thousand dollars behind on rent and none of their neighbors know when they get an eviction notice and maybe they move out quietly in the middle of the night. And that's the end of the story. Right. So if we build those connections within our buildings, if we talk to our neighbors and find out who is struggling, who is behind, what can we do to help them? Uh, then we can prevent a lot of these more more silent evictions, uh, these invisible evictions. Uh, in many neighborhoods in Toronto, there are organizations working on this issue. And if, if you're not aware of them, Google can probably help you out. In, in Parkdale, it's Parkdale Organize uh, that's, that's doing a lot of this work. Um, and if there isn't such an organization in your neighborhood... Uh, there could be. You, you, you could start it. Like someone's got to do it. Uh, this this is a uh, this is a time that's calling on people to to take the dramatic actions that are needed to to keep us all safe. Uh, we we know the government's not going to step up and do it. They've had plenty of opportunities and here we are. So if anybody's going to keep us safe, it's going to be us. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a leap of faith to start organizing, and uh, it's, it's definitely not the easiest thing I've ever done. Uh, but ultimately, I think that it's something that we need to be doing right now. Thank you. I really appreciated you saying talking to your neighbors, because it seems like something small, but it's something a lot of us don't do because um, of different factors, like capitalism has made people very, I don't know, you don't need to be in community as much sometimes. So I really appreciate that that's like a very refreshing tip. Other people um, gave good tips, but not that one, which is like, I think is super important to be in relationships and have strong relationships. So, you know, when people are struggling in their lives, um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything coming up? I know that every few weeks there's been a few actions actually. Uh, as far as I know, we don't have anything planned right now. Um, I'm kind of hoping that we don't need to do any Christmas day visits to landlords houses or something like 
be, ni- be nice to have a bit of a break, but I, I know that evictions don't stop for the holidays, so probably there will be something coming up. But uh, at this point, nothing nothing concrete. Yeah, and there was something uh, last weekend that was bigger, right? Yeah, so we went to the head office of Metcap. Uh, so over the past several, like during November, uh, we talked to Metcap tenants across Parkdale. They have, I think, over a dozen buildings in the neighborhood that they own. Uh, and we collected 433 signatures from tenants in support of three very simple basic demands. Uh, no COVID evictions, no rent increases, and rent forgiveness for people who haven't been able to pay. Like, And uh, it was just the most universally popular petition I've ever seen. I, I talked to dozens of people. One person was like, ah, I don't really like to sign petitions. Everybody else signed it. Like, Nobody really was like, well, I don't agree with this. Like, It was just like, yeah, common sense. Like, They shouldn't be doing these things at this time. Uh, so we delivered that petition, or we tried to deliver that petition, and we demanded a, a public meeting with, with Brent Merrill, the CEO of Metcap. Uh, he, he didn't show up. Uh, we, we weren't too surprised that he didn't show up, uh, but it was sort of the next, next step to accelerate pressure to show that there's broad popular support across the neighborhood for these demands. Going forward, there's the possibility that Metcap tenants might organize a rent strike in support of these demands. I think that would be the logical next step. Uh, it's obviously not my decision. I'm just one guy in the group, but uh, I, I think that, yeah, if they're not going to be willing to accommodate these reasonable demands, then we, we need to keep finding ways to increase pressure on them. Yeah, and you haven't heard back, though, from Metcap, right? Uh, yeah, response is pending. So ho- hopefully soon, you know, like they, they, could, pick up, they could pick up the phone any day. Uh, and, you know, just, just give any of us a call and be like, hey, we'd like to talk. Thank you so much, Matt. And where can people find you folks online? Uh, so I'm I'm not the, the web guy, but uh, Twitter, uh, the Keep Your Rent and the Parkdale Organized Twitters are, are a good place to start. There's also KeepYourRent.com. I know that. We also have a Toronto COVID evictions tracker. I'm not sure if Parkdale Organized started that, but it's, it's a Toronto-wide project to track evictions during COVID. So if you do receive an N4, uh, you can anonymously share information about what the building is, what the landlord is, what the reason for the eviction is um, and that that helps us to you know make, make our case publicly uh, that is always helpful so I think that's torontocovidevictions.com but yeah if you just put that in the thank you so much these episodes take a small team many episodes are hosted by Naturalina Khan solo political episodes co-hosted by Ryan Deshpande art and music by Post America Editing and music by Johnny Zapras. Production assistance by Raymond Canano. Consider giving to us on Patreon to help fuel our team with chai and other fun things at Patreon forward slash Habibti Please. And find us on Twitter at Habibti Please with a B 